Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host... <sighs> Why would anyone do drugs when they could just mow a lawn? Michael Preston. Why, oh why, would you ever do drugs when you can just mow a lawn? It's a credo I live by from my favorite television show, King of the Hill. If only my backyard weren't still such a peat bog because of all the rain we've been getting in Seattle... Uh, that I can actually mow it, but uh, try it. I, try, I, don't, I don't know if anybody else does. I have I've clay soil in my backyard, so it in the summer is both dry and can hold on to no water, and in the spring it holds on to all the water. It is the most frustrating soil to have in a backyard, at least in my experience. Tried to mow the other week when it had been like dry for three days. The mower got one pass up the yard, and then I came back down, turned around, and just saw mud, and I went. Looks like I'm going to have a jungle in my backyard until Memorial Day. That's pretty much it. Welcome to the Kook Center Hour, where we discuss lawn care in every intro, most every intro. Special edition covering the spring game coming up this Saturday at Joe Albee Stadium in Spokane, Washington. If you can make it out, and I encourage you to do so, because this is a free event. It's completely free. You you don't got to pay nothing to go to this. And if you don't want to buy a hot dog, soda, beer, whatever at the game, you don't have to do that either. So you can spend zero. You don't have to pay for parking, I don't think. We took an Uber last year from the hotel. but So I, I don't know. But it like I don't even think you have to pay for parking for this. That is how free it is. But it is this Saturday at 2 o'clock. We will be there. The Kook Center Iron Horse Brewery Tailgate. They're giving us some beer. And we are very thankful for that. Uh, and we, and I, I love their Irish death. I would drink Irish death every single day from Iron Horse Brewery in Ellensburg, Washington, the finest beer in all the land. Just working on the sponsorship. That's what I'm, I'm working that angle right there. Uh, Jacob Thorpe going to join us here in a little bit to talk about spring practices, how it's been going for WSU. Always a wealth of information. We'll spend about a half hour uh, talking with the beat writer from the Spokesman Review. Uh, but uh, you know, th- this is uh, this is it's it's kind of nice to have spring football. A reminder that college football is you know it's not right around the corner, but less than half a year away at this point. And especially for a school where basketball is not quite where it is. Another topic we'll be getting to a little later. Um, it's nice to kind of have the palate cleanser coming off of what was a pretty bad men's basketball season. Women's basketball did really nicely with a nice WNIT run, but it, it, it's it's nice to have this back. And I feel like the interest, you know, I don't I don't think we've seen as much interest in WSU spring football this year, namely because you know I, I think there is something to do with you get a little more interested in it coming off of a good basketball season. I think you saw the proof of that two years ago when the men's basketball team kind of had a unexpectedly good season. So there might be a little connection in terms of, you know, if you, if you haven't had your interest held by anything since late December at WSU, you probably, you know, two and a half months of blankness before you even get to the practices, which are only three days a week and not every day and not as thorough and not as intense as they are in the fall. It's, it's easier to kind of wane interest. And I even admit I've had a little bit of a more waning interest in it this year uh, than in years past, but there's still certainly plenty of intrigue uh, here in spring practice again you're not you're not ever gonna like see you know a, a, exactly how this team's going to turn out to be in the fall it's not a good you know analogy for what this team is going to be in the fall and as Jacob will talk about here in a little bit Luke Falk's never really had a good spring camp never really has but there's never really any doubt 
you know, despite what Mike Leach might say, oh, you know, we always have an open cup district. No, you don't. No, you don't. No. No, 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 no. No, 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 liar. Luke Falk is the starting quarterback, barring some catastrophic, you know, either an injury which would keep him out for a game or a catastrophic injury which keeps him out for an extended period of time. It's just, it's just that's, that's what it is. This gives you an opportunity this Saturday to see Tyler Holinsky and what he is turned into and, you know, to kind of gauge your comfort level with him as not only the backup to Luke Falk, but the heir apparent to Luke Falk. There's there's nobody on this roster that I really see supplanting Tyler Holinsky in 2018. So it, it kind of gives you a good look at who he is going into this season, his, fi- his final season as the backup. Next spring is when you really will get that look at him as you know the, the assumed starting quarterback for WSU. But there's still plenty of other things to look at. You're going to wonder about wide receiver. Because probably for the first time in a number of years, there's a lot of question marks going into the season at wide receiver. No Gabe Marks, no River Craycraft anymore. Two of the most dependable receivers, arguably in school history. Probably some recency bias there. But River Craycraft, just a ball anywhere near him he caught. And Gabe Marks as sure-handed as anybody. And one of the best receivers in school history. And you lose both of those guys, and now you worry at least a little bit about where the receivers are. You know, we there I no doubt about who Tavares Martin is. He's a very good wide receiver. But does Desmond Patton, Isaiah Johnson Mack stand up? Does Kyron Priester see the field this fall after the academic and eligibility issues he's been going through and him leaving the team and coming back to the team and everything else? Can Robert Lewis step up and fill that role of veteran leadership for the receivers in his final season? Can Kyle Sweet become more like River Craycraft on the inside, kind of toughen up a little bit and learn to run through a body, block a little bit better as well? Can all of that happen? Can C.J. Dimery become something more than what he was last year? C.J. Dimery was very serviceable last year, but he gets an extra year of eligibility, comes back to school. Can he become more of a go-to guy for Luke Falk this fall? You're going to get another good look at the running back. You know, Aesop Winston, again, back to the receivers real quick. Aesop Winston coming in from junior college transfer. Luke Falk loves his hands. Are you, what are you going to see from him? We saw James Williams arrive last year at running back. No Gerard Wicks. You're going to see Keith Harrington run the ball again. He After that, not great switch to receiver on the inside. Inside receiver, rather. Defensively, what does that defensive line look like? And again, as Jacob will talk about, the spring game is not a great time to judge defensive lines because they can pretty much just bull rush and just go straight after the quarterback. And they don't, you know, there's no real tactical anything to how they behave in a spring game. They just put their head down and go straight for the quarterback, so to speak. You don't want to put your head, I, it, metaphor, figure speech. But, you know, is Daniel Aquale going to be good enough? At nose tackle, he's certainly a good tackle and has been very good on the offensive line or defensive line. But is he going to be big enough and skilled enough at nose tackle this year for WSU? Can Hercules Mata Afa, Namdi Aguayo, all these other edge rushers get back there without that big body plugging up the middle? Can Nalu Tapa stay on the field for more than a few plays? And then you're going to see what you're getting out of the secondary. No Shalom Luani anymore. Marcellus Pippins, Darian Moulton still there. Jalen Thompson was an all freshman All American in some circles last year. 
Robert Taylor, very good as well. What are you going to see from those guys? And again, this is not as crucial as fall camp, but this Saturday is as close to game speed as these guys are going to get probably until September 2nd against Montana State. This is as close as they're going to get. Because you can, you can scrimmage in fall practices, but again, I don't think you're going to see anything quite as intense as what you're going to see on Saturday. It, it, it's just, it, from my experience, the fall scrimmages, and again, I haven't seen any under Mike Leach, but you, know, you follow them on Twitter, they're just not quite as intense as this spring game probably will be. But I think the biggest thing for me is, is this game provides an opportunity to, again, remember that football is here. To remember football, to tailgate again with people, to be around football for the first time in, for me, five months since the Apple Cup. And it's it's nice to have that in the spring, especially with as long a spring or winter as everybody in this state has had. It's been Rainy and relatively cold for Seattle anyway. It's been rainy and cold for us over here. It has been snowy and really, really friggin' cold on the east side. I'm not com- not comparing cold. It has been way colder on the east side of the state. Relative to how it should be for Seattle, it's been very cold over here. But I, I, I friends in the Tri-Cities, multiple mornings of waking up with a minus sign in front of the number. That's just, that's not pleasant. It has been a brutal, brutal winter and continues to... Keep its climate, climatey cold grip on Washington. This is a nice reminder that spring is here, that summer's almost here, which means that fall is right around the corner and that football is on the way again. And it's a good, good, you know, the camaraderie that comes with watching football with people you like being around and other other folks you may not know, but you're all cougs and you're all here to watch this football team. And again, if you are in Spokane, if you are in the Tri Cities, this is you know this is a day trip. I mean, it's really easy if you're in Spokane, but even if you're in the Tri Cities, most is like anywhere on the east side of the state. Generally, it's a day trip. I encourage you to make it. If you are on the west side of the state, thinking about oh maybe I'll go, maybe I won't go. I don't know, Michael. I don't know why I sound like this. I sound like Bill Murray, Caddyshack. Just go. The hotel options are wider ranging. And thusly, a little more reasonably priced than they would be on a football weekend in Pullman. Again, you're not paying to go to this football game. You're not even paying for parking. You don't have to pay for anything there if you don't want to. You just get to watch Cougar football for free for the weekend. And you get to enjoy some beers. I mean, you're going to drink some beers. You, you got you to, gotta, you know, you, you, can't, you can't just run the 5Ks in the fall and the winter. When it comes to tailgate, you got you got you got to keep that jogging up during the summer too, you know, or spring. Got to do that. Got to stay in game shape. You know what I'm saying? Got to stay in a game shape. My stomach sounds a lot more echoey than I thought it would. Jacob Thorpe coming up next, talking more about the Cougs here in the Cougs Center Hour.
back here on the Kook Center Hour Spring Practice, end of Spring Practice edition, ahead of the scrimmage uh, this Saturday at Joe Alibi Stadium. I know it's Joe Alibi, but it and there's no extra. It should be Joe Alibi Stadium. Uh, we welcome in a frequent and favorite guest of the podcast here, Mr. Jacob Thorpe, the beat writer for the Spokesman Review that covers Washington State, and a man who you know, you you might have seen that you you know you weren't seeing as much from him at the beginning of spring practice as you usually might be because Jacob had another assignment covering the Gonzaga Bulldogs uh, run through the NCAA tournament, and he had the very difficult task of uh, relaxing in the 80-degree sunshine of Arizona for a few days uh, instead of being in Pullman for the spring. Now, I just, I want to know how, like, because that, that's like, that's like that's, that's hard, right? It's being taken away from your beat for something like the pool and the Final Four. Like, that, that's got to be difficult, I imagine. Yeah, you know, it, it truly was hell, Michael. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to ask you to use my uh, my proper title from now on. Uh, over the last two days, or Friday and Monday, I've uh, I've given presentations or spoke to four COM 330 classes in the Murrow School. And I, as you know, that means I'm legally tenured now. Yeah. So it's, it's <laughs> Professor Thorpe from here on out. Uh, <laughs> you'll be driving a Prius with 15 bumper stickers on it in no time. I'm so proud of you. Um I want to start out. Start out with something uh, just real quick off the top. Um, something worth talking about. Uh, the assistant coaches. Most everybody, uh, actually everybody who was retained, got a raise. Uh, Roy Manning, thirty thousand dollars. Eric Mealy, Mealy got thirty thousand extra dollars. Uh, Alex Grinch also extended a year through uh, the end of the twenty twenty, kind of the summer of I believe twenty 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 one. Mike Leach gets no raise, but he gets rolled over. I mean, th- this all kind of you know kind of comes into his point of you know take care of the assistants and uh, everything gets is a little happier that way. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it sort of makes sense given the context of, uh, you know, President Kirk Schultz uh, sort of issued an edict saying athletics has to kind of get its spending under control. They don't have a, a whole lot of extra money to throw at the staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Salovey had a really big contract, so when he left, they were able to, to kind of move some money around and reward some of the younger assistants who, who had done a good job. But, yeah, it, it, it's them taking care of the assistants, I, I think, Moose and Leach probably would have liked to have uh, to have done a little more, but they've they've had some pretty big raises over the last few years, and uh, you, you know, you if the expectation is winning, then uh, mm-hmm. they're already kind of paying them to win. So uh, right. a, a, a very good but not an exceptional eight win season. Uh, th- this is probably appropriate in terms of staff retention, but you know they're not. Uh, break in the bank, particularly given that uh, everyone in athletics is kind of uh, tightening their belts a little bit, just as they try and achieve solvency in the next few years. Right, and that, and that, because you talked about Salave's contract. As I remember, right, uh, Jeff Phelps, the new defensive line coach, he's getting paid about three hundred and twenty thousand dollars in that area. And Joe Salave was set to make four hundred thousand this next this next or this year rather. So you're talking about just a savings of eighty thousand bucks right there that you can distribute, Jason. Uh, Loscalzo, the strength coach, also gets paid. So now I think, including everybody, they're up. If you include Loscalzo in that, they're up over three million dollars for the assistants, which is, I think, more than uh, Mike Leach gets paid. Very slightly, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, well, you know, part of that is that Salavea and Phelps aren't really a one-to-one trade because Salavea was an associate head coach, so he he, he did have a, a different title and was uh, kind of paid. Uh, Accordingly, right. Uh, Lascalzo makes pretty good money, and that's they, they really do treat him like a uh, another coordinator. There are uh, other assistant coaches who make less than the strength coach, and that's not necessarily the case at every school. Mm-hmm. But they they really feel like they're getting a 
a, a good deal still. You know, his his credentials in terms of where he's been and what he did at Boston College and other schools is is, is pretty impressive, and they certainly are very happy with what he's done here. Um, and and they've you know they've had a lot of real success stories. You know, I mean when they went and said, okay, this 240-pound basketball player, Andre Dillard, we're, we're going to grow him into our left tackle. Uh, it's certainly possible to try to put 65 pounds on a kid and not have that work out and right. have him still maintain his athleticism and, and turn into this really strong guy and really fill out that frame. Uh, they've had a lot more hits than misses in that regard. Uh, the fact that Cody O'Connell can carry 370 pounds and, and still look yeah. pretty you know, frankly, pretty svelte for a 370-pounder. Uh, you know, that that's all just uh, Jason Lascalzo. And so uh, they certainly feel like he's worth it. But that does sort of increase uh, the, uh, you know, the assistant pool and kind of changes how you have to manage everything if you're going to pay the uh, the strength coach like he's, you yeah. know, you're another defensive coordinator practically. Yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, the actual football of uh, spring practice. Uh, you've been around for an awful lot of them now. A lot of these uh, 15 practices every spring. You've been around for you know dozens of them at this point. Just give me your evaluation of uh, how this spring has gone. Maybe compared to last one, that might be the best uh, comparison uh, in terms of you know how how the team looks this year compared to all the other years, and and a little bit more focused on maybe this last year as well. Yeah, I'm I'm hesitant to make any big, broad, sweeping generalizations because uh, while while I know that you know it's not necessarily what the fans want to hear, mm-hmm. uh, you know, spring practice is pretty low key. Frankly, yeah. it's it, it is what it is. It's it's practice, but it's not even regular season practice, and and there's only so much you can glean from that. Uh, what, what I've noticed in particular is that the the offensive line help and help health health and depth. <laughs> Is uh, is certainly the best it's ever been. You know, when I when I came to Washington State, uh, boy, you know, like three and a half or four years ago, uh, there were multiple uh, walk-ons starting on the offensive line, and, and yep. they looked like walk-ons, and they were great kids. But they, the, you know, the look test them compared to pretty much every Pac-12 school was was pretty stunning. Mm-hmm. And now they've got, you know, multiple waves of these. Uh, 300 and something pound really big uh, physical looking dudes who frankly aren't even close to playing you know they've really uh, yeah they've really built depth there they've got these kind of Christian Hangana Nelson Gaisola guys who they can they have the luxury of just locking in the weight room for a couple years and making them do those one-on-one drills with the D-line and and really getting you know some coaching from Clay McGuire, and then they can turn them loose when they're upperclassmen. And that's just never really been the case. Last year, they had a little bit of depth, uh, but now all those guys who redshirted last year in what was a pretty you know robust, pretty good offensive line class mm-hmm. that they've had a year in the system. They've got new guys who are coming in who are going to have a year in the system. Uh, the offensive line, I think, is really the kind of underrated part of, of all of this, of, of what they've kind of been able to do under Mike Leach. And, you know, now they've got uh, a returning Outland Trophy finalist, the left guard. They've got, uh, you know, Cole Madison is a, is a very good right tackle. They really like what they've got with Dillard. Uh, Frederick Malagoa at center is, uh, you know, like Riley Sorensen was a very good center. He was a really good athlete. 
but the Maui Goa kid really is just a wall. They, yeah. uh, you know, the defensive lineman will tell you he's he's actually probably the hardest one to just move and get around, and, mm-hmm. and so they're really set there, and that gives them the luxury of kind of building up depth behind them, and you know, in a lot of ways, that's the most impressive thing they've done. You've got to you've got to really like what they're, where they're at with running back, and you know, Mastro has hit on basically every running back that he's recruited, but. Right. But the, but the O-line is where they're, you know, it's where, that's what they've been able to do. I'll, I'll put it this way. What they've been able to do with the O-line is why you expect them to just sort of be a bowl team going forward. They've kind of achieved that level where, uh, you know, if things don't really go their way, they'll get six wins. If things go about okay, they'll get seven or eight. And then if they get lucky a few times and, you know, get all the breaks, then they're looking at those years where they're competing for a, a spot in the Pac-12 championship game. But right. their, their floor is much higher than it's ever been when I've been here. Mm-hmm. And that's almost exclusively just because of what they've been able to do in terms of stocking the offensive line, in my opinion. I think that's I, that's a good point. You know, you talk about, you know, the, the early years under Mike Leach, you worried, you know, the six and seven year in the New Mexico Bowl, if things break the wrong way in that year you go back and you saw it the next year when they went three and nine and things did not break their way in that season uh i want to talk a little bit when you mentioned the running backs uh there as well jacob um gerard wicks hasn't been practicing much you mentioned in one of your posts uh you just you know it's it's an undisclosed injury you don't ever really find out uh with mike leach what the issue is but uh keith harrington's getting a lot more touches uh this spring and that's wonderful to see because he was you know part of he was that first the last head on the three-headed monster at first and kind of got supplanted by James Williams uh, last year a little bit. They tried him at receiver. It didn't work. Um, but, you know, Gerard Wicks's injury kind of allowing for a bit of a resurgence of Keith Harrington, uh, that can't be a bad thing depth-wise to basically have four running backs you trust in pretty much any situation uh, or you just completely trust to get out there and, uh, and, and pick up some yards on every play. No, and you know, I mean, the reality is they they give the running backs a lot of touches. Those guys accounted for twenty five hundred plus yards of offense last year. I think this year they'll uh, probably account for that again. They're probably going to lean on them a little more with the departure of some good wide receivers. And the reality is, you're probably going to need all four guys. It's it's hard to get through a, a season with a, a whole running back core intact. Even last year, they didn't really. It just happened to be Harrington who was who was injured early on. He had kind of a hamstring injury, and that mm-hmm. allowed the other three to really kind of solidify their places as the three running backs they went with. But it's never a bad thing to have uh, four guys who can go. Harrington does give them a, an extra dimension in those screen games or in the screen game that we really saw two years ago. And uh, I, I think they really, you know, are, are happy he's back. It it speaks highly of him that he kind of stuck around and still wants to work, even though he's got three very good established running backs in front right. of him fighting for three spots. And, and he, you know, he's a kid that they really do like having in that room. Um, the running backs are, with, you know, just without question, without a doubt, the tightest unit on the team. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and he is a big part of that. So, you know, if he were to have transferred or, or something like that, it, it would have been felt even if he wasn't necessarily getting those touches. But, right. you know, I, I think they're happy to have him. I, I think the expectation is certainly that Wicks is back in time for next season. But you, you never really know. You know, uh, football players' bodies are fickle. And so the, the more players you have that are, are ready to go, the mm-hmm. better. And talk about receiver a little bit uh, as well, because you know it's kind of a positional battle a little bit with River Craycraft and Gabe Marks now gone. Tavares Martin Jr., uh, the best receiver left on the roster. I you know, I don't even really know if that's a debatable opinion, but you, there is some de- there are some depth issues right now 
uh, at receiver, which is kind of unusual to hear uh, for Washington State in the last few years. Uh, but Aesop Winston's made a nice uh, little emergence from his uh, transfer from junior college uh, here in time for um, for spring ball. And I believe Luke Falk told you, Jacob, that he has the softest hands he's ever thrown a football to. That's right. He, he, he did tell me that. And, and the, the, the Cougars are in kind of an interesting point with wide receiver right now because they they certainly have the, the you know, the best just collection of bodies they've had probably. Uh, you know, they've got the, the two six-foot-four sophomores at the Z with uh, Johnson Mack and with Desmond Patman. Uh, C.J. Dimry's back and has looked good. Aesop e- Winston has... Uh, he, he is just very impressive. He has great hands. Obviously, you know, you can take Luke Falk's word on that. He seems to have very good body control. Not mm-hmm. not that he's Gabe Marks, but he has kind of that Gabe Marks ability to use his shoulders to set up uh, a window for himself where the ball will go, where the defensive back can't really get to it. Mm-hmm. The issue is, is just that, uh, you know, as we've kind of learned from the last few uh, few camps and such, Wide receivers are, are great athletes with great hands, and when they're getting thrown all these balls in camp, they're all going to make some really good plays, or at least they, you know, the better ones will. Translating that to the football field is just this whole other thing, or translating it to, to game speed is right. just this whole other thing. You know, we saw, you know, last year, uh, Desmond Patman looked really good in fall camp, and then kind of faded as just the the grind of the season. All of a sudden, he's having to go to class and all this stuff. Uh, Johnson Mack had it had an okay but not great first year. Uh, we saw two years ago, you know, Kyron Priest and Kyron Priester really did, did just have one of the most kind of physically dominant camps uh, I, I've ever seen, and then didn't do a whole lot during the year. So there's just there, there's a big gap between being physically capable of being a really good wide receiver. Mm-hmm. And actually doing it. And so if it, if it's a numbers game, you you have to feel good that some guys are going to emerge. Uh, you know, you you kind of know what you have in Robert Lewis on the inside. Kyle Sweet can can maybe take his game up to another level and provide a, another good option inside. Right. And like you said, you know, Tavares Martin, everything indicates he's poised for a, a thousand plus yard season. Mm-hmm. But after that, you're just kind of hoping that two or three of you know, five or six very good athletes emerges as a, as a dependable option. And it's very much possible. You know, J- Johnson Mack is working really, really hard, and he's kicking butt. And he's he, as big as he is, he's way better after the catch than you think. Uh, Desmond Patman is obviously having a great camp. And Aesop Winston, you know, for, for having had 11 practices, he's looked real good. And mm-hmm. I can't say all 11 of them because, like you said, I was covering the Zags, but all six or so that I've seen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, indications are good, but uh, I would caution against just sort of, ex- you know, penciling in any of those guys for a, a really big year, just knowing that uh, wide receivers are kind of the position that can, can look the best in camp relative to how well they'll actually do. Right. Defensively, uh, you know, I, I, offense is always kind of the highlight of the show with Washington State, but defensively the team's obviously gotten better, much better over the last few years. I think, Jacob, we're, we're pretty well established at linebacker. We're pretty well established in the secondary. Jeff Phelps just has one hell of a task ahead of him uh, in his first season at WSU with that defensive line because I believe the thought is uh, from Mike Leach is that Daniel Aquale is going to play nose tackle most of the time. And for a guy who... Uh, does not break 300 pounds, uh, that is going to be a difficult 
thing to do. You still have Hercules Mata'afa, you have George Moore, you have Nandi Aguayo, all these guys up front that are freakishly athletic, but the, the size issue and the depth issue, I think the depth issue might be even worse than it was last year. I mean, after you lose Robert, and I mean, Nalu Tapa is a capable guy, but he's just never shown he can stay on the field for too long. Is that the biggest worry on defense for you when you look at this, that unit, you look at that defensive line and go, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, frankly, you, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. It's just, it, it is a small group. They don't really have a single... Uh, you know, for sure interior guy, but guys are going to have to play on the inside. You know, I, I think you're going to see, I would expect to see Hercules Mataafa getting a lot of snaps inside again. And that's, uh, you know, he is super duper strong. So he, he's able to do that, but that's not where he's able to really have the most success and sort of maximize his talents. Daniel Aquale is just going to have to be, uh, you know, Tony Pole this year. He's going to have to be Robert Barber, and that's not necessarily his best area anyway. Right. And then, and then even going outside, you know, guys like Namdi Aguayo and Derek Moore, you know, those guys could be playing linebacker, mm-hmm. but they're going to be playing with their hand on the ground. So, you know, on the one hand, if there's, if you had to kind of, define Alex Grinch's strength as a defensive coordinator and, and the reason why everyone's so high on him at a young age as a defensive coordinator is that he really does have the ability to adapt. He has a you know a very strong belief in putting uh, the best 11 on the field, putting players in a position to succeed. You know, I've, I don't really care if Shalom Luani's a safety. Uh, for our purposes, we want him involved in as many plays as possible, so we're basically going to turn him into a linebacker. Yeah. Uh, you know, stuff like that. He, he is very adaptable, but at the same time, it's a really, really rough conference, and it's a conference with some very good running backs. And, you know, I think if there's a big worry heading into next season, it's just what what is this group going to do against a, uh, a Royce Freeman or, or all those guys at USC who you've got to play this year, or, mm-hmm. you know, Le- Le- Levine Coleman and Gaskin over at yeah. UW. It, it does seem like uh, it could be a group that is susceptible to a strong running game. And then while you've got some very good athletes in the secondary, you're, you're pretty young there too, too after your top-level guys and, you can certainly see a situation where they're really having to kind of play up, bring Jalen Moore up close and kind of help against the run. And then all of a sudden, some of those teams try and play actually to death. To death. So it's you really can't be super weak on in any area defensively or the rest kind of breaks down. Mm-hmm. And there is the potential, I think, for uh, for them to be very weak up front, in which could you know kind of lead to that chain reaction. Right. And, you know, uh, Jeff Phelps, the, the players certainly seem to take to him. He's definitely a technician. You see him really working with them a lot, one-on-one, individually. Uh, they do have, you know, experience on the line. You, you, Daniel Aquale has been through the wars. Hercules Manafa has has seen it all. Um, so you know, maybe they maybe they can hold up, and maybe having those linebackers like Peyton Palour and those guys behind him, uh, maybe that's enough. But it's that's certainly a concern heading into next season. Get two more questions in here with Jacob Thorpe from the Spokesman Review, Doctor Jacob Thorpe from the Spokesman Review. My apologies. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, uh, what you've seen uh, some more of Tyler Holinsky uh, this spring, and I mean, you know, Luke Fall. You know, I Mike, Mike Leach can say as many times as he wants to open competition, but it just it, it's it's Luke Falk's job, and it's it, it unless he gets hurt or he plays to a level that is so extraordinarily bad that we've never seen from him before, he's probably not going to lose his job as a starting quarterback. 
so Tyler Holinsky is probably the heir apparent and in all likelihood, you know, again, is going to have to do a lot to lose his job as the heir apparent uh, to Luke Falk in 2018. But what have you seen from him this spring? Because, you know, I, I think a lot of people want to think about that, that yes, even though Luke Falk is your starting quarterback again this year, he is a redshirt senior and you need to start thinking about the future a little bit. So what have you seen that you've liked uh, from Tyler Holinsky so far this spring? Yeah, you know, it, it's so funny. It seems like uh, for uh, you know, it, it, forever practically, there's been every spring. There's there's some quarterback who can really just throw a pretty ball and just looks like a quarterback, and you know, everything just goes right and is picturesque and follows this. You know, every ball follows this beautiful arc and just lands in the bucket of the the wide receiver. And then there's Luke Falk. <laughs> Yeah. And it's always and Luke Falk is always the one who ends up winning the job and going down to UCLA and throwing game-winning touchdown passes and beating Oregon on the road and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's I mean it's just the same thing of this year, you know. I mean Hylinski looks really good, and what what he's looked good in, in my opinion is you know he could always spin it. His first year he had just a weird hitch in his throw, uh, yeah. and you know he'll he'll be the first to tell you that you know he he had something that they had to fix mechanically, and then he fixed that. And then last year in last fall camp, uh, you, you knew he was talented, but you know he threw a lot of picks. He he was not consistent. Uh, they they were tagging him quite a bit, but this year he's eliminated that. You know he's he is very much steadily improved every year. Mm-hmm. Whereas right now, if 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 Falk had left and Highlands, he was going to be the guy. It would be tenuous. You you wouldn't really know what you had with him. Right. But based on what you've seen in practice, you would think, okay, this this, this guy looks like a Pac-12 quarterback. Mm-hmm. And so if he can spend another year kind of learning from Falk, I mean, you know, it's he's one snap away from playing, so he could yeah. certainly play hundreds of snaps this year. But if everything kind of goes according to plan, and he's able to to kind of continue to improve really take ownership of the team in the spring. Uh, I, th- I think you're pretty comfortable with him as the starter next mm-hmm. year. He, he does look very talented. And, you know, what's, what's really been impressive is that he's he, – he does a lot of the other stuff. You know, he, he's certainly willing to he, – he wants to be a leader. He wants to kind of uh, be the face of the team, you know, whereas, uh, you know, Luke Falk is very much a leader, but he, he's one of those guys who just wants it to be football. He just wants to go out and play. Uh, he's – I think he likes those of us who've covered the team and had lots of one-on-one interviews and stuff with him, but it's it's not really the part of it's not why he wants to be there. He doesn't really like having his name there. Uh, you know, Hylinski is kind of a little PR guy. You know, he's kind of come up to me after practice <laughs> when I did an interview him and said, you know, hey, yeah, hey Jacob, how you doing? You know, man, the, the receivers are just working so hard this year. They they look really good. I mean, how about Esop? You know, he's he's really playing. You know, he's kind of a he 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 kind of wants to he's, be the spokesperson and wants to wants to take on that role. He's he's that annoying email you get from like uh <laughs> from like a like a juice company in LA asking if you want to call in on their teleconference for their new power juicer or something. Yeah, you know, he kept trying to sell me this timeshare and I was like, <laughs> <"Dude."> <laughs> But uh but no, he's uh it, it, you know, I I he does, he does come across very mature. I I, I think he really comes across like a like a leader and you know he's kind of got that Jason Gesser quality where he's he's just real upbeat and positive mm-hmm. about the guys and, and wants you to know about it so uh I I think you're pretty happy with how he looks uh going into next spring uh well going into this year it's just one of those deals where 
you know, in, in college football, you know, it seems like a guy kind of establishes himself, starts for a while, and then you kind of got to, you know, cross your fingers and hope the next guy can step up too. And, I, you know, what, it, what we saw in limited action from Hylinski last year, I, I think that probably assuages some worries. He's he's seen the bullets fly now, and he's responded well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he he's playing real well. Uh, looks good. One more uh, question, and we'll let Jacob go. Uh, just what are you kind of looking for from this Saturday? If there was one thing you wanted to see from the team, either side of the ball, that uh, you know would be a good sign going into the fall, short of nobody going down with a catastrophic injury, so not including that, because obviously you don't want to see that. Um, but uh, it, what is like if there's one thing you had to pick uh, for what you really want to see this Saturday in Spokane, what would it be? Well, let's cross a few things off the list here because there are some things you are probably going to see that uh, it seems like always kind of put everyone into a tizzy that just don't really mean anything at all. Right. And and that's one is, uh, you know, whichever quarterback plays better is, is, isn't going to be a huge, uh, isn't very predictive no. uh, going into next year. I mean, you know, we've, we have seen lots of uh, players have great spring games and then, you know, transfer or something. And, and uh, you know, with the, with the way they set it up with who's going against the ones on a given snap or, or all that stuff, it's just there's not a whole lot you can gain there. The sack numbers are probably going to be a lot higher than you uh, expect, and that's right. not going to really mean a whole lot in terms of the offensive line, which is probably going to be kind of mixed and mashed, and the defensive line, which is basically able to pin its ears back. And all they really all they really need to do is get a fingertip on the guy, which – you know, there are certainly times when you can get a hand on the quarterback when you would not be able to, you know, wrestle him down. You can yeah. kind of take a bad angle and still get your long arm on his shoulder pad. So, you know, the sack numbers will probably be high. Uh, I, I don't think that means anything one way or the other. I think the offensive line is very good. I think the D line is a bit of a concern. That's not going to change if they have 12 sacks or something. Uh, ultimately, for me, uh, it's going to be stuff that happens on the outside. You know, if if Desmond Patman has 10 catches for 120 yards and two touchdowns uh, in in his first kind of game with a bunch of fans there, that probably does mean something. Or if one of the defensive backs looks real good, I, I have found that that does probably translate and, mm-hmm. and gives them some confidence and probably does uh, indicate something heading into next season. So for me, th- this game is kind of about the skill positions. Even even the running backs, you know, I, I think you can see who's a great athlete and who's not. Obviously, James Williams kind of announced himself last year, and he hurled a guy, and mm-hmm. that put everyone in a tizzy. And But, but we kind of knew he was going to be good anyways. The, 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 the big deal for me is they've got a lot of guys in the secondary who are going to play who have not done it before. You know, you're, you're yeah. looking at uh, Sean Harper, uh, Hunter Dale, uh you're you're looking at uh, you know Marcus Strong. Mm-hmm. If if one of the, if those guys were getting beat pretty bad, obviously they could improve. But you'd really hope to to see them step up and kind of uh, play with a lot of confidence. And then again, those wide receivers we've mentioned. You know, um, can Aesop Winston do it under some more pressure? Is is Desmond Patman able to uh, to play as well when there's a lot of watching and it's live tackling and all that stuff? And uh, if I, you know, if I seem kind of just understating all of this, it's because I, I really don't know that you can take a whole a lot from any spring game. Right. But if you're going into it trying to kind of have a, an eye for talent to evaluate young guys, 
those are the guys I would really kind of be watching because the reality is the, the offensive line is just sort of put in a position to fail, um, which means the D-line is put in a position to succeed. Yeah. And uh, it's frankly just kind of too small a sample size to really get anything on, like, the quarterbacks one way or the mm-hmm. other. Doc- and then the kicking game because, the, you know, like – Eric Powell has had maybe the most kind of uh, full career of any any specialist I've ever seen. He's had, you know, like an all-conference season. He uh, had a, a great second half of last year and just a truly abysmal first half of last year. Yeah. And he, you know, he, he hasn't been that good in the spring. So, um, you know, kicking matters, and they're either going to be really good next year or really bad or somewhere in between which is not really what you expect from a three-year starter. You'd kind of think you'd know what you had, but he's uh, he's got a really high ceiling and a really low floor, and so I, I would certainly kind of be paying attention to that on Saturday. That house is way too big. Uh, Dr. Thorpe's office hours in Johnson Tower will be from noon to one every Thursday. Uh, he accepts gifts of uh, cured meats and uh, IPAs uh, if you would like to improve your grade. But thank you for joining us and making time in your very busy teaching schedule uh, for the Coots Center Hour. My pleasure. Talk to you later, Mike. on the Kook Center our thanks to Mr. Jacob Thorpe for stopping by always a dependable and wonderful guest to have on the program um, I want to talk before we get to our Dunderhead of the Week last few months whatever you want I'm going to call it Dunderhead of the Week and ask Michael anything I do want to briefly touch on uh, this is our first chance to talk about uh, basketball and I you know I, I, I typically will you know, I, I use as a judgment of whether people are interested in hearing from the show and whether the work I put in is worth the effort is generally how many people are listening, you know, and I, I, I kind of tell, you know, how many people are going to be on the website and, you know, I, I, it, it is a lot of effort to, you know, I'm not like trying to toot my own horn here, but it is, it is a number of hours of effort over a couple of days to put this show together. And... So I can kind of judge when people are interested. It's always better when the football team's winning. And we know that. That's that's just, that's easy. And I, I typically during football season is when people are most engaged and wanting to talk about Washington State Athletics. I, I, I can't even begin to express how little interest it seemed like anybody had, including myself. Uh, in listening to or saying anything about the men's basketball team this fall and winter. It just, you know, short of their one win over UW, it, I just, the complete and total apathy that has sunk in with that program is extraordinary. 
especially for someone who went to school in possibly the only time, you know, recent history at the very least in w- at WSU where the basketball team was substantially better and held more attention than the football team. I even in that six and six season where they were ranked in the top twenty five briefly in two thousand six, and then the following season where they beat UW in the Apple Cup. I, I mean, it, basketball held my attention all four years I was at WSU, and especially after Paul Wolf was hired. I mean, you had nothing else. Basketball was what held my attention. And it is just not even remotely close to the case anymore. Not even close. And and I and I I can admit to that and cop to that. That you know Malachi Flynn's a guy I'm interested in watching develop a little bit. Robert Franks, a little bit too. But honest to God, without looking at the roster, I have a hard time remembering who else is even on the team. That's partially my fault. I should be more interested and engaged in everything to do with WSU athletics. But Ernie Kent is making that difficult. Now, hiring Ed Ed Haskins from Garfield is one hell of a coup. That is one hell of a hire. And hopefully it has an immediate and good impact on this basketball team. That is, I I give Ernie all the credit in the world for that. He deserves credit for that hire. Because Ed Haskins could have, you know, yeah, he's getting paid more to coach in the Pac-12, obviously. But he could have been perfectly comfortable at Garfield for the rest of his life. That is one of the best jobs in the state. Just period. End of discussion. He could have been perfectly comfortable coaching Garfield for a very long time. But he's going to make the trek to arguably the hardest place to recruit in the Pac-12. I, 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 don't, I don't think that's a debate at this point. The lack of a basketball facility, the lack of any team success over the past few seasons has made Pullman an extraordinarily hard place to recruit to as if it wasn't already. But I think... What worries me more is is Ernie Kent's contract situation. I think we've all been over this a number of times. Is that Ernie Kent's contract is fully guaranteed. Fully guaranteed. Every single penny of money is owed to him. If he is fired without cause. Every single penny of money. And what I worry about, though it hasn't been announced publicly yet, is that Kent's contract has been rolled over by Mill Moose. I worry about that. Because again, you're latching yourself to a guy for at least four years. Because WSU is not in a financial position right now to afford to get rid of Kent's contract. They're just not. Things could change in the next few years, and if WSU's athletic budget gets to where Bill Moose and Kirk Schultz want it to be, with the department in the black paying back the debt they owe the school, then that situation could change. But right now, 
I look down the line at all the money the athletic department owes a school. Over $80 million for the the uh, the suites. $60 million for the FOB. $150 million bucks and no way to pay for it. This school is not in a financial position to torpedo that contract and pay someone else. That's what I worry about. I don't know at this point if Ernie Kent is going to be the guy that can make WSU successful in basketball. I think you have every reason to doubt that. Every single reason. And again, I admit to talking from a place of perhaps more ignorance than some on this topic. But that's what hot takes are for. <laughs> no. I it 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 kind of comes to what we talked about with successful coaches at WSU. Why is Mike Leach successful in Pullman? Because he runs a system that can rely on the not as heavily recruited athletes as other schools can rely on. UW can rely on regularly pulling in four-star recruits. That means you can't. It's just realistic. And that's fine. And my expectations for football are the same as for basketball. I don't expect football to be battling for a conference championship every year. It's just not realistic. The same way I don't expect that from basketball. I don't expect them to be battling for a Pac-12 title every year. But in the same way, I expect that football should be relatively... It should be relatively easy for them to make a and bowl game. Three out of every four years. And if they do, if they make a bowl game this year, they will have done that. And in fact, I guess you could consider they have done that already. Because the New Mexico Bowl missed and then two in a row. So they will do that again this year. It should not be unreasonable to expect WSU basketball to appear in some sort of postseason tournament. The NIT, the NCAA, I'll be generous. Every other year. I, I, I don't even demand the NCAA tournament. Just something after the Pac-12 tournament. Every year. Every other year. Just something. Anything. Hell, even one out of every three until some facilities can be built to better support recruiting. I don't think that's too much to ask. And I don't know that if Ernie Kent is the guy you are asking for that, if he's the guy that's going to be able to provide it. The solution right now isn't to fire him simply because it is not affordable. The school cannot afford it. So the solution then, if you continue to be unable to afford it, is to let that program languish for a while until you are more financially healthy to make a better coaching decision. But Bill Moose probably ain't going to be around for that. His contract is bad for the school. It's good for Ernie Kent. It's bad for the school. 
I hope I am wrong. I really hope I am wrong. And if they make an NCAA tournament the next couple of years, or even an NIT, I am prepared to eat my words. I will do that. Hold me to it. I will eat my words. But it stinks that this program that I knew to be so successful, and I understand that's an aberration in the history of WSU basketball, a program that I knew to be so successful is now where they are right now with barely four figures worth of people showing up to some games. That's just awful. Terrible. And I hope to God it changes. Dunderhead of the Week, Ask Michael Anything, coming up next on the Cooks Center Hour. Head of the week time. I haven't done one of these in a while. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I got you know, there's so many we can pick from, but I, I like picking stuff like out of my personal life because it's just a way for me to rant about this crap so I don't have to do it on Facebook. Um, there's a somebody at my gym, and that's a that's a humble brag. I've been going to the gym. Uh, <laughs> There's somebody at my gym. Does every gym like mine, I go to an LA Fitness in West Seattle. Does everybody's gym have like those little lockers by the elevators at the front doors? They're just kind of like community. Like if they're open, you you know, use it, you lock it. So you can just like, I just like put my wallet and keys in there. So I don't have to like go all the way into the locker room, buy a lock, put it in there. So I can just literally put them in the little locker, grab a towel, get on the treadmill, elliptical, whatever I'm doing that day, get off of it desanitize, grab it, and leave. You know, just like all one... I don't even have to go deep into the recesses of the gym by the guys who are screaming on the squat rack. Everybody got one of those? Something like that? It's like a little... So you set the little three-digit code, and I do the same code every time. Easy for me to remember. There's somebody who will literally open... It seems like they either open their locker and reset the numbers on there so it says this before... You get there, or this is the code they use. It is literally 666. I don't know why, like, I know the whole goal of this is to bother people. And I know by yelling about it and complaining about it, that person is accomplishing their goal of annoying people and just, like, disturbing people. Like, but, oh my god, you're so hilarious and edgy. You put 666 on the locker code. Oh my god, you're so edgy. So hilarious. 
People are gonna be so scared to use them. Like, ha ha, I put 666 on. <laughs> this is what runs through my mind every time I see that. I have no idea how I've remained married to my wife for almost five years. Because, like, when I, like, she gets these rants before you do. And then she packs a bag and goes and stays at her mom's. I don't know if that's connected or not, but it might be. Anyway, dude or lady, probably a dude, though. Let's be, it, it's a dude. Let's be honest. It's a dude. Dude at the LA Fitness in West Seattle who sets the little shared locker thing to 666. We're not 17 anymore, and we don't all have Stussies on our sweatbands we keep on our wrists. That's all I'm saying. Ask Michael anything time. Ask Michael anything. We adore the sandwich-related ones. At Donnie Out West, Donnie Turnbaugh. If you could only eat one sandwich for the rest of your life, what would it be? Like, I love Rubens. Rubens are some of my favorite. Uh, I also love meatloaf sandwiches. Those, I think, I feel like those are underrated a little bit. Tortas. If you could consider a torta a sandwich, like I would go that. But I would probably have to settle on like the like you know like an Italian sub because I I love that the vinegar dressing they put on that I, it is full of fat and it's terrible for you but it tastes so so delicious with the meats and the cheeses and the vegetables and the white bread that is also terrible for you that just soaks up all that stuff it's so good that Coog's Zoo Coog Burn Bomber Menke. <laughs> I think it's a little before my time to answer that question. Thank you, though. At Totes McStose, should all those that support Team Crimson be forced to buy beer for Team Grey supporters all season long following their loss this weekend? I agree with that. I'm on Team Grey for the spring game. I'm always on Team Grey. Although I am kind of mad the tweet WSU, the official WSU Cougars Twitter account sent out on Monday with like, oh, where's your allegiance? The WSU Grey, the uniforms they have in there are anthracite. They're not actually gray, which leads me to believe they have gotten rid permanently of my favorite jersey, which is the gray. The actual gray, not the anthracite. At K. Lockins, Keith Lockins. He asked two questions. I love the two questions. Can we win with a D-line averaging 100, 240 pounds? This is the football version of the 119. Kind of a little bit. Uh, how do we ensure opposing teams' QBs fly united this fall? I mean, SFO's a hub for United, so I assume if Sanford's coming up here, they're going to fly on a United charter, right? Like, so we could at least knock out... I don't know who's going to start a quarterback for Stanford this year, but we could at least knock one of those guys out. That's got to work, right? And I think you can fly into Stanford or into uh, Spokane from LAX on United, can't you, too? So, yeah, put uh, put Sam Darnold on <laughs> And then, uh, oh, he's, he's unfortunately going to have to be... Uh, be taken off the plane whether he wants to be or not. At not Kenna, Matthew K. If you could trade Pullman being the National Lentil Festival home for any other food-related festival, what would it be? Hot wings. I mean, you, you could go barbecue here, and I would love to go barbecue, but there is just something about hot wings. Or 
just chi- you know chicken wings, buffalo wings, hot wings, any other you know teriyaki wings, uh, whatever else you want, whatever other you know topping you want, type of wing you want. I would want to try every kind of chicken wing. It is possible for the finest chicken wing chefs in the world to come up with. That is what I would want to try. Because you know, like to, to offset that, you'd have to drink a lot of beer, right? To offset the spice from a lot of them, inevitably, you would have to drink a lot of beer. So I don't feel like, you know, like lentils don't like... Lentils are very tasty. I enjoy lentils. But I don't feel like you can like combo that as easily with heavy drinking. Maybe I just never did the lentil festival the right way. Uh, but I, I, I just... Yeah, I'd go with wings. Definitely wings. Barbecue, a very, very close second. Uh, I'm a big f- fan of smoked meats. Uh, but I feel like you, you would get fil- filled up too quick without being able to sample as many as you want. Because when you when you eat, when you find a good, you know, like good barbecue meat, you're just going to eat a ton of it. You're not going to be able to sample as many. That's my main problem with it. We'll see you guys at the spring game on Saturday. I hope you join us for the Kook Center and Iron Horse tailgate at Joe Albee Stadium before the game on Saturday. If not... Well, thanks for listening.